I'm Mark, and I'm the pastor here, and welcome to E3, and it's uh, so great to be here. When I walked in this morning, as Eric already said, there was a wall, which uh, we're very happy about and very excited about a wall, as much as you could be excited about a wall. But actually, I was more excited about the other wall. Uh, last year, last year, last week, it seemed like a year ago. But last week, it was our seventh year anniversary, and the week before, our, uh, uh, so seven, seven years, one week ago, a uh, group of about 30-something people uh, stood over at that wall, and, and we wrote names of people who uh, we wanted to see come to Christ and uh, that we were going to be praying for and uh, dreaming that, you know, as we launched this church, that, that, that somehow we could impact uh, their, their journey. And it was actually startling to me because I haven't seen those names in, in seven years and, and to see those names. And I was just kind of like wondering, I wonder, I wonder like if anybody here throughout the course of the day is actually their name is on there. And I, so if you've come to faith uh, in, the, in the past seven years, uh, maybe you want to check the, check the wall and, and know that seven years ago somebody was, uh, was praying for you and, and sacrificed to start this church uh, because they loved you so much. And um, so actually in the first gathering, somebody jumped up and ran over there. But you guys are more patient, so that's cool. Uh, I like that. Um, so, so here we are in red letters looking at the teachings and the words of, of Jesus. And we're actually going to be in Luke chapter 12 today. But just to give it kind of some context, I actually want to start in, in chapter 11. And what's happening in chapter 11 is, is Jesus was invited to yet another Pharisee's home for dinner. And uh, Jesus went in, and he sat down without washing his hands. And the religious rulers freaked out. Now, Jesus wasn't opposed to washing his hands. In fact, I would sure that he would encourage you to wash your hands today before you eat, especially before you shake my hand because I have OCD, and it just freaks me out. So... But, but Jesus, you know, did things as, as, a, as a kind of a platform to talk about something larger. So he sits down, and all the religious rulers are, are freaking out, right? And they're all like, Jesus, you know, how, how, could you, how could you dare, you know, sit down and not do the ceremonial hand washing? And he looks at them, and... I love it when Jesus does this. I, it's my favorite parts when Jesus just unloads on religious people. You know, like when he's like, you brood of vipers and, and things like that. I, I love that. Well, he didn't call them a brood of vipers this time. He looks at it and he says, you hypocrites. What's a hypocrite? A hypocrite is somebody who portrays something that they are not. A hypocrite is someone who portrays a belief system that they do not believe in, but externally they pretend that they believe in. We have a word for uh, that in the 21st century. I think we call them politicians. (laughs) 
Yeah. Just kidding if you're a politician. I'm sure you're very sincere in your beliefs. And, uh, but that's what, a, that's what a hypocrite uh, is. And, and religious rulers were, were known for, for being hypocrites. And, and Jesus goes on and he says, You guys are so clean from the outside, squeaky clean. You look like you have it all together. You're all holy and reverent and all that. But inside, you are rotten. You are rotten. So, after that lovely dinner conversation, it says in uh, in chapter 12, Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling about and stepping on one another. Or in other translations, crushing one another. It was like a Who concert, right? Like Jesus was that famous that people were clamoring over one another to get close. You know, a Jesus mosh pit happening. And, and it's very interesting. You, know, you think... You know, the disciples are sitting there and we're like, yes, this is our guy and this is happening. And we have all these crowds coming and things are coming together and he's the Messiah. And he's going to turn the whole world on it, on its head. And then Jesus turns to them and he says this. Beware of the yeast of the Pharisees. There hypocrisy. So get the scene, right? Thousands of people stomping one another. They're getting close to the moment where Jesus is going to proclaim that he is the Messiah, that everything's going to come together. Everyone wants to hear and get a piece of Jesus. And he takes that minute and that time, instead of addressing the crowd, turns to his twelve he says, beware the yeast. This is yeast. Beware the yeast of the Pharisees. What are you talking about, Jesus? What, is, what could that possibly mean? Well, yeast is an interesting thing. You know, yeast talks in, the, in Scripture. It was like uh, from Jewish rabbis. It was one of their favorite illustrations for how Sin and corruption can radically change the properties of your life. In fact, you know what the difference is between Sara Lee, hearty and delicious 100 grain, multi grain, multi grain bread at 120 calories a slice? 20 milligrams of sodium. I digress. And matzah is yeast. Yeast. Yeast is the difference. Yeast is what makes the dough rise. And, and, and uh, is the difference between like a, whoops. <laughs> difference between a cracker and bread, not a cracker like the southern cracker, like cracker like that. <laughs> yeast, this little bit of yeast totally changes the property 
from a cracker to a bread. And, and, and Jewish rabbis used to love to use this, uh, this illustration to, to show that a little bit of sin, a little bit of corruption in you can radically change the properties and the direction of your life and ultimately who you are. And this is what he's saying. He's like, all these crowds are coming in, and he's like, beware of the yeast. What, you know, in the context, what is he, he's talking about? Well, he's talking about this hypocrisy that can be fueled by the yeast, by the sin of acceptance. We all, we all face it, right? Especially in church life. That if we want to be accepted, that we, that we have to behave a certain way, that we alter our behavior. Like for many of us, our behavior in private or behavior on a Saturday night is vastly different than it is right now. And some of that is just, you know, context, which is fine, but some of that is hypocrisy. Is that yeast that's coming in that, that you know, in order to be accepted, at least you think, that you have to behave and be a certain way. In fact, that's true in a lot of churches, right? And that's why here at E3, I mean, one of our main things is, you know what? We're faith, authenticity, and emerging culture meet because we do not want to celebrate the facade and we want to interact with one another on a real level. And what Jesus is saying here, he's like, beware of this yeast, this, this, this temptation. Remember, he was just, the disciples and him were just at dinner. He's saying, beware of the Pharisees, this yeast that they have taken, because they are hypocrites. They have this hypocrisy that has gotten into their life. And they are clean on the outside, but inside they are rotten to the core. And he goes on to say this, the time is coming when everything that is covered up will be revealed and all that is secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetops for all to hear. You know what Jesus is talking about? Facebook. Right? I... This is like a prophetic thing of, of the existence of Facebook. I mean, think about poor Michael Phelps, you know, smoking his bong and somebody takes a picture and suddenly all his sponsorships is gone. You know, how many of us, and this is, you know, I, it is, a, is a common thing today, that behavior that, that used to be kind of private and concealed, that, that, that you know what, it can be an instant in an instant, everything that you have covered up will be revealed and the secret will be made known to all. Whatever you have said in the dark will be heard in the light and, and what you have whispered behind closed doors will be shouted from the housetop for everybody to hear. That's what Jesus is talking about. is like this yeast of hypocrisy, this darkness in, inside us, that, that who we, the, the difference between who we really are and the yeast of acceptance and the applause of others will ultimately be our downfall. Now remember the context. I want to keep on bringing you back. 
The disciples are standing around. People are clamoring to hear Jesus speak. And Jesus is taking the time saying, you see all those people out there? Be careful. Because they're shouting for us now. But there will be a time that you will have to make the choice. Are you going to be concerned about the inside and your eternal relationship with the one true living God and your decisions are going to be based on that? Or are you going to choose like the Pharisees did to go down the path where you are working on external for the applause and the acceptance of others? This is what Jesus is talking about. And then I love this next part. Dear friends, don't be afraid of those who want to kill your body. (laughs) Okay, Jesus, right? They cannot do any more to you after that. Okay. But I tell you whom to fear. Fear God who has the power to kill you and to throw you in hell. Yep, he's the one to fear. That doesn't mesh with our kind of New Testament free love Jesus, huh? Like Jesus is reiterating, we talked about this last week. You know, Jesus calls us his friend. God so loved us that he sent his only son. And all those things are true, and we can go with, without fear to the, to, the, to the feet of our Savior, right in the presence of God. That is all true, but also we need to remember he still is God and we are not. And Jesus is saying, look, other people, this world can beat you down. But that's okay. Because what you have to do is have a long view, an eternal view. And he goes on, verse 6, what is the price of five sparrows? Two copper coins? I'm glad he tells us because I had no idea. Yet God does not forget a single one of them. And the very hair on your head are numbered. Yeah, I get it. So don't be afraid. You are more valuable to God than a whole flock of sparrows. What Jesus is reiterating here is those crowds out there, those people who are crushing one another to get close to us is not your audience. If you are a follower of me, you have an audience of one. And that the decisions you make and where you ultimately end up in the scale of a rich and satisfying eternal life is based on who are you going to serve? Are you going to serve and do things for the acceptance of others or are you going to serve and do things for the acceptance and an intimate relationship with your Father in heaven? And then he goes on and says in verse 8, I tell you the truth. I'm not sure if he was lying to us all before. I don't think so. He says, I tell you the truth. Anyone who acknowledges me publicly here on earth 
the Son of Man will also acknowledge and be acknowledged in the presence of God's angels. But anyone who denies me here on earth will be denied before God's angels. Anyone who speaks against the Son of Man can be forgiven, but anyone who blasphemies the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. You know, I can't tell you how many conversations I've had over the years about, about this scripture. Like people get all just like, oh my gosh, you know. I've denied God in the past in my life. So am I done? Yep. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> You're not done. Don't freak out yet. No, you're not done. You see, followers of Christ and Christians, we, we, we get ourselves in a lot of trouble when we view relationships and our relationship with God differently than we view all of our other relationships. You see, God is the author of relationships. So the, the laws that govern our relationships here on earth horizontally are the same laws, God's law, of a vertical relationship. And I was thinking about this in the context of uh, my relationship with Shannon. And just this kind of this, this idea of, of how do we acknowledge God? And the truth is, holy cow, I think I've been married 17 years. I dated Shannon for probably four or five years. So let me do the math really quick. Let's that 23, okay. So I, I've been in relationship actually even longer than 23 years w- with Shannon. I've been in relationship with her for probably 24 or 25 years. And, and at the beginning, when we just like met, and we started kind of interacting with one another, and people would say, are you dating Shannon? You know what I would say? No. Because I was not dating Shannon. I denied her publicly. Right? I did. I wasn't dating her. I did not have a relationship with her. You know, relationships start a certain way. And ours started by, you know, really investigating one another, right? We investigated. We, we would kind of see which, you know, one another were about. We would... We would investigate how we would respond to different situations. We just kind of, we weren't dating, and people ask if we were dating. My parents and friends, you guys dating? No, we're not. We're just investigating right now. Investigating, yes. But at some point, there was, there was a connection, right? Just trust me, there was. There, 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 there was this connection. So, I mean, you're thinking about the rules of God. You know, there's a point in our lives where we're just investigating the claims of Christ, right? Maybe that's why you're here. 
Maybe you're just investigating the claims of Christ. Maybe you would not say that Jesus is the Son of God. Maybe you would not say that he's your Lord and Savior. Maybe you would say that, maybe you would say that he is not God. That's, you know, that's denying him. We all start there. Next is connecting intimately. I remember when Shannon and I connected intimately. I was about to go on spring break. My long, dark, flowing hair. That's right. Fabio had nothing on me. I was outside my friend Jason's house. I was about to get in my car. And she comes out to say goodbye. At this point, we're just investigating, right? She steps into me. Like, Shannon's like 89 pounds, right? And I'm like 200. She grabs me, pushes me against the car, and she laid her claim on your pastor. Right on the lips. It's true. Connected intimately, staked her claim, no longer investigating. We have now connected intimately. You know, and like Eric likes to sing, you know, the, you know like the, the sloppy wet kiss song. I mean, yeah, I mean, that's a, there's this intimacy with, with, with God. And at some point, you know, you're no longer investigating, but you kind of seal the deal, right? That you say, you know what, God, I acknowledge you as God. I acknowledge you as my Lord and Savior. What's the next step in in relationships? Well, for me, after several years, it was to profess publicly, you know, and, and... and, you know, yeah, we're dating, and now we're engaged. And now, in front of my friends and family, we had a ceremony, right? A wedding ceremony. And, and we, in the eyes of God and the state and in our friends, that, that, that we made a public profession. You know, do you, Shannon, take this man as your lawfully wedded husband? And she said, Yeah. And then he, I was asked the same question. I said, yes, I do. And then we have this public profession. And for us who are, who are followers of Christ, kind of that day for us is, is baptism. Kind of that pro- public profession. Does it make us, you know, any more Christian or any more saved? No. Did it, did it make our Shannon and my relationship, you know, did we love each other anymore because of that? No. But that was the ceremony. That was the stake in the ground that we said, you know what, we are committing publicly in front of our friends and our family that we will be together for the rest of our lives. And that's kind of the baptism. Same deal. And then the next thing that kind of happens is the dawning of identification. Uh, for me, you know, and for many of us who get married, you know, the dawning of the identif- identification is the wedding ring. I have a friend who calls this his permit, but I don't call it my permit. I co- yes, that's a joke, by the way. Uh, 
uh, you know, this is, this is identification that, you know what? I'm spoken for that I have a, a relationship, a lifelong commitment with a woman that I dearly love named Shannon. For, for Christians, identity, a lot of times, can be a surface thing, right? It's like you get a fish on the back of your car, you wear a t-shirt, I think God wants something deeper than that. And just like this ring is just symbolic, there's something deeper behind this kind of identifying thing, right? That, 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 that there's a daily investment that happens. There's a daily investment that happens with, with my wife, right? I mean, we, we, at, at marriage, we didn't, you know, the wedding wasn't the end. The wedding was a beginning of a new chapter where we knew that we had made a public proclamation to one another and we took on the identity of one another. She took my last name. That we became one in the sight of God and others. And then the real work started. The daily investment of spending time together, having children together, doing our finances together, praying together, crying together. This daily investment that builds the relationship, and the same is true with God. And what if I never spoke to my wife? What if I, you know, never showed up or never did anything for her? I never showed her any signs of generosity or, or, or gratitude. That relationship would dissolve, right? What if I cheated on her? that wouldn't fly. You'd have to like drag the swamps for my body. <laughs> Invest daily. For me, I think as far as the relationship with Christ, I mean, it's like, it's so easy, but it's so hard, right? I think it's pretty, like, as far as like the intellectual consent to it, I think it's pretty easy, and I think Jesus is pretty clear. Look, Love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love others as yourself. That this, this is the most important thing, and everything else comes from that. That's not my words, that's Jesus' words. You know, as we kind of just invest daily in our relationship with God. So when he's saying, you know, publicly acknowledge me, and anybody does that, I'll acknowledge them. You know, this, this whole relational thing that, 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 that there's stages, there's, there's a progression to it. And you know what? We all blasphemy the Holy Spirit in the beginning. And I think a lot of times, you know, we look at this and it's like, well, I don't understand what that means. And we can kind of look at it two different ways. You've ever seen those... Um, uh, Old West wanted posters like Jesse James wanted for murder. There's two ways to take that. Like Jesse James wanted for murder, reward $2,000. Well, you could read it maybe as it's intended. Jesse James is wanted for murder because he killed somebody. And if you bring him in, you will get $2,000. Or, you could read it this way. Jesse James is like a help ad 
is wanted because I want somebody killed. He's wanted for murder. I'm not going to do it myself. So Jesse James, he's wanted for murder, and I'll give him $2,000 to off this person I don't like. Right? So language is a funny thing, and sometimes you can look at something, you can take it two different ways. And the same is true in, in this. Anybody who blasphemes the Holy Spirit, well, in the original language, it's pretty clear, actually. It's more of a fault of our own language. That, that this, is call, this is a progression of blasphemy. This is, not, this is taking into account the relational progression that you have and what it's talking about is if you blast me the Holy Spirit of your whole earthly life at the end, that's an unforgivable sin. But if you engage in a relationship in you, with, with one living God, then eventually, you know, and you enter in a relationship that you will be in eternity forever. And then finally he goes in verse 11, he says, When you are brought to trial in the synagogues and before rulers and authorities, don't worry about how to defend yourself or what to say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you at that time what needs to be said. And what Jesus is basically saying here is, look, once you enter into this relationship and this natural progression, that eventually you're going to get to a place where you will have radical trust of God, because he will show that he is faithful every step of the way. You ever, like, look at people, and you're just like, wow, their faith is so amazing. You know how their faith became amazing? It's by walking daily with God and seeing that God fulfilled their needs financially, emotionally, relationally, every step of the way that God is faithful. And I think it's interesting that, you know, remember, this is all in the context of who's your approval going to be? Is it going to be of man, or is your approval going to be for an audience of one, God? And he's like, look, when these crowds out here who are clamoring to, to give us attention right now, when they turn on you because you're following me, and they now are going to drag you in front of the authorities, don't worry about it. Have an eternal view of success and know that their temporary approval will switch because you refuse to go the route of the Pharisees and to pretend and do things for their approval instead of the approval of God. And ultimately... Another prophetic thing that Jesus is saying here, that 11 out of the 12 disciples did not die a natural death. They were killed for their faith. And I just want to leave you with this, because this has always encouraged me. In Romans 8, 28, Paul writes, And we know that God causes everything to work together for good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. Now, I've heard this misquoted so many times. That doesn't mean that everything's always going to be good. You're not always, you know, going to go to Vegas, pull the slots, and it's going to come up seven. Seven, seven, right? Three sevens. 
It's not, you know, everything's not going to go your way. That is a temporary view, but we have to have an eternal view. And this is what we can know. If you're a follower of God, that everything that goes, happens in your life is going to be sifted through the permissive will of God and the long view, eternity view of things that happen in your life that you can know without a shadow of a doubt, no matter how bad it seems, that if you love God, because he already loves you, but if you love God, that it is going to come together for good somehow, some way. And that you are called according to his purpose. You guys pray with me. Dear God, I just uh, thank you for this teaching and just reminder that you, that we live for your audience, not the audience of others. And God, we all know the temptation to change our behavior for the acceptance of others. And sometimes that's good. But ultimately, we know that it is your approval that we need. And it's you that we seek to please. God, we love you. And I pray that we can always remember that you are the one who has been there, is here, and always will be here for us. We love you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Thank you.